Welcome to today's episode, folks. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving into a fascinating study that delves deep into how our brains process our own movements and predict their outcomes, especially when it comes to what we see. Right, Jen. The paper we're talking about is titled Motor Dominance and Movement Outcome Congruency Influence the Electrophysiological Correlates of Sensory Attenuation for Self-Induced Visual Stimuli. Quite a mouthful, but stick with us because it's super intriguing. The research team, led by Victoria Roxana Bala from the Cognitive Brain Research Unit at the University of Helsinki, along with colleagues from Hungary and Norway, set out to explore an aspect of our sensory experience known as sensory attenuation. Sensory attenuation is this amazing ability of our brains to tune down the sensations caused by our own movements. It's why you can't tickle yourself. Your brain predicts the sensory outcome of your movements and dampens the sensation. This study specifically looked at how this phenomenon plays out in what we see, that's the visual stimuli, when we make movements, say, pressing a button, and how this might be influenced by which hand we use and whether the visual outcome matches what we expected. The researchers employed what's called the contingent paradigm, which basically means participants in the study had to press buttons with either their dominant or non-dominant hand. These presses would then cause images of either left or right hands to appear on a screen. What makes this setup interesting is the congruency or the match between the hand movement and the image. So if you press with your right hand and see a right hand, that's congruent. Press with the right, see a left hand, it's incongruent. Now onto the geeky bit. They measured the participants' brain responses using something called event-related potentials, or ERPs, which are essentially brainwaves that occur in response to these stimuli. They found that, generally, our brains do engage in sensory attenuation when we, when we cause visual stimuli through our movements. But this effect varies depending on a few factors, like which hand you're using and whether the visual stimulus matches the hand you used. Interestingly, this sensory attenuation was most pronounced in people who were right-handed and saw a right hand after pressing with the right hand. It highlights how our motor dominance, whether we're left or right-handed, plays a role in how we process sensory information. And it's not just about left or right hands. This study also hints at deeper layers, like how attention and sensory prediction interplay to modulate our brain's response to self-induced visual stimuli. So, what does all of this mean in the bigger picture? Well, it underscores how our brains are constantly predicting and adjusting to our actions to help distinguish between self-generated and external stimuli. And this isn't just academic curiosity. Understanding sensory attenuation has implications for how we perceive the world and our sense of control within it, which is crucial in conditions where these mechanisms might go awry, like certain neurological disorders. Absolutely, Jen. Studies like this pave the way for deeper insights into the human mind and how it interprets our actions and the world around us. It's a fascinating blend of neuroscience, psychology, and technology. And it reminds us of the marvel that is the human brain, constantly working in the background to make sense of our sensory experiences, distinguish between self and others, and navigate our environment seamlessly. We'll wrap it up here. What's clear from this study is that there's so much more to learn about ourselves and how we interact with the world around us. Thanks for diving into the depths of sensory attenuation with us. It's been a ride. 
Until next time, keep those neurons firing. I'm Jen. And I'm Tom. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Ever wished you could tickle yourself just for the kicks? Well, wish no more. Introducing the Ticklomatic 2000, the brainchild born directly from the groundbreaking study on sensory attenuation for self-induced visual stimuli. The Ticklomatic 2000 is no ordinary gadget. It's your personal tickle machine that uses advanced, totally not made up science to bypass your brain's sensory attenuation. That's right. It fools your brain into thinking the tickle is coming from someone else. With a sleek design that looks surprisingly like a pair of oversized robotic hands, the Ticklomatic 2000 comes with customizable tickle patterns. Choose from Gentle Breeze, Mischievous Feathers, or the Unrelenting Tickle Monster. But wait, there's more. Order now, and we'll throw in a pair of mismatched socks, because why not confuse your brain a little more? The Ticklomatic 2000, why let your brain keep all the fun to itself? To get yours, dial 1-800-TICKLE-ME. That's 1-800-TICKLE-ME. The Ticklomatic 2000, tickle your fancy, trick your brain. Side effects may include unexpected giggle fits, an irrational fear of feathers, and a newfound appreciation for being tickled. Use responsibly. Keep out of reach of serious adults. So turn your self-tickle dreams into a reality with the Ticklomatic 2000. Laughing at yourself has never been this literal. Welcome, folks, to today's episode where we dive into the fascinating world of virtual reality and the visual information it provides. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're exploring a groundbreaking paper by Edward Baggs, Paweł Grabarczyk, and Zuzana Ruczynska on the visual information available in virtual reality. This research brings a new perspective on how we perceive virtual environments compared to traditional pictures. That's right, Jen. The paper starts by challenging the idea that virtual reality is just another form of picture perception. Unlike pictures, VR is interactive and immersive, creating a unique blend of challenges and opportunities for how we perceive and interact with these digital worlds. The authors build on James J. Gibson's analysis of the perception of depictions to tackle three intriguing questions about virtual reality. First, is VR just another form of picture perception? Their insightful answer is no. They argue that VR should be seen not as an image-based display, but as a means for wearers to sample a simulated ambient optic array, offering a rich, dynamic visual experience. That's an important distinction. It suggests that VR is an entirely different beast, one that calls for a new understanding of how we perceive and interact with it. The second question they delve into is, who creates the information in virtual reality? The authors argue that it's a joint creation of hardware developers, software engineers, and, crucially, the observer. Absolutely, Tom. This co-creation aspect is fascinating. It highlights how interactive and personalized VR experiences can be with users playing a crucial role in generating the information they perceive. This interactivity is a key factor distinguishing VR from static pictures or even traditional video games. And that brings us to the third question. Are there affordances in virtual reality? Here, the paper takes a nuanced stance. Yes, VR does offer affordances, but there are limitations based on how the environment is implemented. 
This part of the discussion opens up a whole new dimension in understanding the potential and boundaries of actions within virtual worlds. Interestingly, the paper also touches on the issue of virtual reality as an immersive, all-encompassing experience. A stark contrast to the sense of looking at something behind the canvas as we do with pictures. This immersive factor changes the game entirely when it comes to how we interact with and perceive digital environments. And let's not forget the role of technology in all of this. The authors point out how VR systems are essentially simulations of ambient optic arrays, offering a window into understanding visual perception in entirely new ways. On a personal note, Tom, diving into this paper has really opened my eyes to the depth and complexity of virtual reality. The blend of technology, psychology, and philosophy here is mind-blowing. Agreed, Jen. It's fascinating how this research not only advances our understanding of VR, but also prompts us to rethink what visual information and perception are all about in these digital worlds. And it's not just about games or entertainment. The implications of this research ripple across various fields, from education and training to therapy and beyond. The potential for creating meaningful, impactful VR experiences that are rooted in a deep understanding of human perception is enormous. Well said. As we wrap up today's episode, it's clear that the visual information available in virtual reality is a rich and complex topic that challenges our traditional notions of perception. So, dear listeners, we encourage you to explore virtual reality with a fresh perspective, considering the profound insights from this paper. It's a journey into how we perceive, interact with, and ultimately co-create our experiences in these digital worlds. Thanks for joining us on this fascinating exploration. Until next time, keep questioning and keep exploring the boundaries of perception. Bye, everyone. In a world where vision meets imagination and reality gets a bit twisted, there's a new company on the block. Introducing Optic Array VR, the only company that lets you co-create the visual world of your wildest dreams, or let's be honest, your weirdest dreams, because who wants to be normal? Ever wanted to experience a world where gravity doesn't apply to cats? Or one where every Tuesday is actually Taco Tuesday, with tacos raining from the sky? Optic Array VR makes it happen. Powered by the groundbreaking research that teases apart the fabric of virtual reality, Optic Array VR brings you a system so immersive you might just forget how to human. With our patented Weirdify engine, not only do you get to live in a dynamic visual world, but you also contribute to its creation. Yes, you. Scared yet? You should be. So unlock the potential of your psyche and dive into a realm where the rules of normal physics, logic, and societal expectations don't apply a place where the word boring doesn't exist. But confusingly delightful does. Optic Array VR where your vision becomes, well, weirdly, wonderfully ours too. Join us and let's make reality a playground for the imagination. Disclaimer, Optic Array VR is not responsible for any existential crises that may occur. Always wear your VR headset responsibly. Welcome to today's episode where we're diving into a fascinating study that sheds light on the phenomenon of shared reality. That feeling when you just know you're on the same wavelength with someone else. That's right, Tom. The paper we're exploring today is titled, When and Why Does Shared Reality Generalize? by Wasita Mahafanit and her colleagues from Dartmouth College, Temple University, and UW-Madison. 
This work examines the conditions under which people generalize a sense of shared reality from specific instances to a broader context. Shared reality is a cornerstone of our social interactions. It's what helps us feel connected, empathize, and build relationships. But how does it form, especially with someone we've just met? This study aimed to unravel that mystery. The researchers hypothesized that shared reality, or the sense of being on the same page with someone, might arise from making inductive inferences about what we have in common with them, based on sparse evidence. To test this, they developed a naturalistic text-based chat paradigm where pairs of strangers discussed either a shared opinion, an opposing opinion, or a random topic. They wanted to see which conditions fostered a greater sense of shared reality. And here's what they found. Participants discussing shared opinions reported a greater sense of shared reality compared to those discussing differences or random topics. Interestingly, even participants who discussed differing opinions managed to find other areas where they shared common ground, reporting an increased sense of shared reality. This suggests that a shared reality can emerge not just from discussing commonalities, but also from the active engagement in finding common ground. Another intriguing finding was that the more participants generalized about what else they might have in common with their partner, the higher the sense of shared reality they reported. The study used a clever design. Participants first filled out a pre-chat survey about their beliefs across different domains, like religion, politics, and lifestyle. Then, they were paired with another participant for the chat phase, where they discussed a prompted question based on their, on their survey responses. After the chat, participants predicted their partner's opinions on the rest of the survey questions, attempting to infer additional commonalities. The extent of these inferences and whether they felt a shared reality with their partner was then measured. It's fascinating to consider how this process of inferring and finding common ground could play out in real-world interactions. The study suggests that when we encounter someone new, we actively search for signals that might indicate shared beliefs or opinions, and this, in turn, strengthens our feeling of connection with them. Absolutely, Jen. And it's worth noting the study's limitations, such as the short duration of the chat phase, which some participants felt was too brief to fully understand their partner's stance. Extending those conversations might lead to even stronger feelings of shared reality. What's so compelling about this work is how it illuminates the mechanisms behind forming connections with others. By understanding the role of shared reality in social interactions, we can foster deeper, more meaningful connections in our lives. To wrap up, this paper provides a foundational insight into how shared reality can emerge from very slim slices of interaction and how those initial moments of connection might generalize to broader aspects of our relationships. It's a testament to the complexity and adaptability of human social cognition. And that's what makes it so intriguing, a glimpse into the intricate dance of human connection. Thanks for diving into this topic with us today. Until next time, keep seeking to understand the world a little bit, a little bit better every day. Are you ever stuck at a party, wondering how to break the ice with strangers? Do you find yourself nodding along in conversations, desperately searching for something, anything you have in common? Worry no more. Introducing Commonalities, the app designed to find common ground in any conversation. 
inspired by the groundbreaking study on shared reality. Just open commonalities at your next social gathering, input a topic, and voila, our patented shared reality algorithm sifts through hundreds of potential conversation threads to find the one topic you and your chat buddy are guaranteed to agree on. Love pineapple on pizza but afraid to admit it? Commonalities will match you with fellow pineapple enthusiasts, making you feel less alone in your controversial culinary choices. Worried about discussing the weather for the umpteenth time? Commonalities is here to spice up your small talk with fun, engaging, and slightly bizarre topics that are sure to keep the conversation flowing. From debating whether a hot dog is a sandwich to conspiring about the secret lives of pets, Commonalities is your go-to solution for bringing shared reality to any interaction, making every conversation unforgettable. Download Commonalities today and turn awkward silences into shared laughter. Remember, it's not just an app. It's the beginning of a conversation revolution. Because life's too short for boring conversations. Welcome back to our exploration into the depths of research and the stories they tell. Today, we're diving into a topic that's both timely and provocative, exploring the nexus of masculinity and allyship in the context of racial justice. The study we're focusing on asks a compelling question. Are beliefs about being a man associated with white American men's self-perceptions about confronting racism? That's right, Tom. Conducted by Stephanie Simon from Siena College and Anna Kaiser Ryman from the University at Albany, State University of New York, this research delves into the concept of precarious manhood and its potential implications for engaging white American men in the fight against racism, especially racism directed towards black people. Precarious manhood is a fascinating concept. It's this idea that manhood, unlike womanhood, is not seen as a stable, innate trait, but rather a precarious status that has to be constantly earned and publicly demonstrated through actions that align with traditional masculine norms, aggression, stoicism, dominance. And herein lies the crux of their inquiry. If manhood is deemed precarious and in need of constant proving, could this drive white men to shy away from confronting racism? a behavior that might be seen as not aligning with traditional masculine norms. To answer this question, the researchers conducted three pre-registered studies involving hundreds of American white men. They looked at participants' endorsement of precarious manhood beliefs and gauged their attitudes towards confronting racism, especially racism that targets black individuals. The findings were telling. White American men who scored higher on precarious manhood beliefs were less inclined to confront racism. They feared that taking a stand against racial bias would reflect poorly on them, potentially because such actions could be perceived as feminine or as stepping out of the traditional masculine role. Additionally, this apprehension was paired with more overall negative attitudes toward black people, illuminating a concerning correlation between precarious manhood beliefs and racial prejudices. But perhaps one of the most poignant insights came from the exploratory data. It revealed that the stronger the endorsement of precarious manhood, the less likely these men were to feel proud about confronting racism. This isn't just about fear of judgment. It's about an internal conflict with their own sense of identity. When masculinity is tied to not showing care or avoiding behaviors tagged as feminine, it's not just the men who are trapped in these rigid roles who suffer. Society at large does too, 
because it loses potential allies in the fight against injustices like racism. Absolutely, Tom. And it brings us to a reflection on how we, as a society, define masculinity. By challenging and expanding these definitions, by making it clear that standing against injustice and showing care are not only feminine traits, we might empower more men to step into roles of active allyship without fear of compromising their manhood. It's a compelling call to action for us all, to reconceptualize what it means to be strong, to be a man, in ways that include standing up for what is just and right. This study not only sheds light on the barriers to confronting racism, but also offers a pathway towards a more inclusive and active form of masculinity. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to acknowledge the broader relevance of this work. In a world that's increasingly aware of the systemic injustices faced by marginalized communities, understanding what holds people back from confronting these injustices is crucial. And with studies like this one, we're getting closer to unraveling these complexities, moving towards a society that not only values but also embodies justice and equity for all its members. It's been an enlightening exploration today. We thank you for joining us and encourage you to reflect on these findings and their implications for our, our collective journey towards a more equitable world. Until next time, keep questioning, keep learning, and let's strive for a world where masculinity isn't measured by adherence to outdated norms, but by the strength to stand up for what's right. Thank you for listening. Has the battle against old school machismo got you down? Are you tired of being stuck in the mud of outdated masculinity? Fear not, because we've got just the solution for you. Introducing Man Up For Change, the first company where being a true man means standing up against racism and embracing a more compassionate, inclusive form of masculinity. Forget lifting weights. Lift the weight of injustice instead. Swap your barbells for some bold, impactful conversations about racial equity. At Man Up For Change, we provide workshops, attire, and even manly scented candles. Yes, you heard that right. Candles that smell like justice and equality. Picture this. You're lighting a Solidarity Sense candle, the aroma of unity and understanding filling the air as you slip on your Real Men Confront Racism tank top. You're not just ready for the gym. You're ready to flex your allyship muscles. And for those moments when you feel your old, fragile sense of manhood creeping in, We've got the Man Up Mantra Machine, a pocket-sized device that plays empowering affirmations like, my masculinity includes empathy, and confronting racism makes me more of a man, not less. With Man Up for Change, you'll not only transform your perceptions of manhood, but you'll also join a community of men committed to making the world a more just place. Because true strength lies in our capacity to care for and protect one another. So what are you waiting for? Skip the toxic masculinity supplement and get yourself the real deal at Man Up For Change. Your journey towards a more inclusive manhood starts today. Call now and we'll even throw in a macho man meditation guide because even the manliest of men need a moment of zen. Man Up For Change, where changing the world is the manliest task of all. Welcome to another episode where we dive deep into the realm of research to uncover the truths that lie beneath. Today, Jen and I are discussing a piece of research that resonates with a topic that has piqued our interests for quite some time. This investigation centers on eyewitness identification, 
and the processes behind their decisions, a topic vital to the integrity of our justice system. That's right, Tom. Eyewitness evidence has always been a significant factor in courtrooms. The weight of an eyewitness's identification can drastically influence the outcomes of trials. But how reliable are these identifications? The paper we're examining today sheds light on this intricate topic. Titled Eyewitness Decision Processes, a Valid Reflector Variable, this study explores whether a more nuanced approach to understanding eyewitness identification decision processes can enhance the prediction of their accuracy. Before diving into the details, it's essential to understand the backdrop against which this study was conducted. Traditionally, the confidence of an eyewitness and the speed with which they make an identification have served as the primary indicators of their accuracy. However, this research proposes that a deeper exploration into the eyewitness's decision-making process could offer a more robust prediction tool. Conducted by researchers Jamal K. Mansour, Jennifer L. Beaudry, Maitram Nguyen, and Roy Granicki, this study embarks on an ambitious journey. Utilizing an inclusive questionnaire comprising 17 decision process items, the researchers sought to reveal whether these self-reported decision processes could transcend the predictive capabilities of mere confidence and response time. The methodology here is noteworthy. Participants were shown a mock crime video designed to create different levels of memory strength. Following this, they were presented with a lineup which could either contain the culprit from the video, target present, or not, target absent. Here lies the critical part. After making their identification decision, participants completed the detailed questionnaire focused on their decision process. Through the whirling world of factor analysis, three distinct factors emerged from the chaos. Automatic responses, relative judgment, and absolute judgment. Each of these factors reflects a depth to the decision-making process previously unexplored. Automatic responses indicated decisions made with ease and minimal conscious effort. Relative judgment pointed towards decisions influenced by comparing lineup members against each other, while absolute judgment reflected a comparison of lineup members directly to the eyewitness's memory of the perpetrator. The findings were striking. The scores from the automatic responses and relative judgments factors predicted identification accuracy a breakthrough that stretched beyond the predictive power of confidence and response time alone. This revelation brings us to the heart of the significance of this study, providing law enforcement and the judiciary with a more nuanced and accurate tool to gauge the reliability of eyewitness identifications. It's fascinating, Tom, how this paper not only challenges existing paradigms, but also opens the door to potentially revolutionary practices in criminal justice. The implications here are massive. If these findings hold up under further scrutiny and application, it could mean a substantial leap forward in our ability to weigh eyewitness testimony. Absolutely, Jen. The quest for truth in the justice system is a noble but challenging endeavor. Tools that enhance the reliability of eyewitness identification are invaluable. This research paper presents a promising step in that direction reiterating the importance of continuous inquiry and skepticism in the face of established norms. As we wrap up today's episode, we reflect on the broader relevance of this paper. Not only does it provide a window into the complexities of human memory and decision-making, but it also underscores the importance of evidence-based practices in law enforcement and judicial proceedings. 
The pursuit of justice, after all, hinges on our ability to discern the truth with as much clarity as possible. Ever find yourself witnessing something incredible, but when it's time to recall, your memory plays tricks on you? Well, worry no more, because iWit Pro is here to save the day. That's right, Tom. With our groundbreaking iWit-O-Matic decision-making goggles, you'll never doubt your eyes again. Based on the revolutionary research, our goggles guide your eyes and brain to make the best decision possible. Whether identifying a suspect in a lineup or picking the ripest avocado at the grocery store. Simply put on the iWitomatic goggles and let the intuitive interface tap into your decision making processes. With modes like automatic responses for those split second decisions, relative judgment for comparing options, and absolute judgment for when you have a crystal clear memory, it's like having a detective and a personal shopper rolled into one. And for those moments of indecision, our patented iDuno button will give you a confidence score from wild guess to pretty darn sure, so you can make decisions with the flair of a professional poker player. So don't let your memory make a monkey out of you. Order the iWidomatic goggles today and see the world with clarity, precision, and a dash of fun. Because at iWit Pro, we believe seeing is believing, but deciding is divine. Act now and we'll throw in our exclusive Memory Booster Aroma Spray, guaranteed to enhance your recall, or at least make you smell like you know what you're doing. iWit Pro, where decisions meet precision.